Okay, we are in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And this is, this is one of those times when it's an amazing coincidence. I choose these books and these, these uh, we go at our own pace. It has nothing to do with what the, the church is choosing, but it overlaps with what Roger was doing today. So, so um, you know, there may be a word for us in that. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And let me remind you that the book of Hebrews is to the people around Judea, who because of the persecutions coming upon them, they are feeling like they're going to go back into Judaism, that they're going to start denying the faith in Christ, go back into Judaism, not because they're having some intellectual epiphany, but because of the persecution. And they feel if they go back into Judaism, the persecution will end, and then when it, 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 their persecution will end, and then when the persecution upon the believing uh, uh, the believers uh, comes to an end, then they'll come back into Christ. And what he's telling them is, you can't do that. And the reason you can't do that is, if you go back into Judaism, you're going to end up in Jerusalem. And you're going to get killed along with all the people in Jerusalem that are going to die because it was prophesied that destruction would come upon them. Because at the, at the, uh, uh, Jesus had spoken it. Jesus had said that it would come upon that city. And he said, he, he, they even said, let, your sit, let, let this be upon us and upon our children. And so about, 30, about 40 years after the events of, of what had happened with, with the crucifixion of Jesus, in, uh, about 35 years later, in 70 AD, was going to come the destruction of Jerusalem. And that's what they were going to fall into. And so when it gives reference in the book of Hebrews that you're going to die, he's speaking physical death. And so this is what he's sharing with them to encourage them. And we're still in this chapter 11, which is these men and women of faith that he references. And in verse 32 of Hebrews 11, And what more shall I say, for time will fail me, if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets? who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. So he has already, throughout this chapter, spoken about men and women of faith. He's talked about, he started way back at, at, the, at, at uh, the children of Adam, talking about them, and then spent quite some time talking about Abraham and Sarah and, and Moses' parents and Moses as you, as you go along on down. And then he, he says in verse 32, and what more shall I say for time will fail me? Most books in the New Testament were written by a, a, a person who wrote for a living. So in other words, the person writing the letter would dictate it and a person would be writing. And this is why sometimes it comes out as if it's a stream of thought in speaking. And that's what you see here. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. So now he's going through rapid succession before he was giving us at least a verse for each person. And now he just lumps them all together. 
What's amazing about these, this list of people, as we've seen with the list of people throughout, is they all had some sort of problems, some sort of sins. We talked last time about Rahab, how she had been a harlot, she had been a prostitute, and how the Lord saved her out of that. And in fact, every reference that you go through in the genealogy of Jesus, seeing the women who are mentioned, every one of them either had some sort of sexual problem or they had been raped. Either they, they, they were prostitutes or they, 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 uh, uh, or they themselves had been raped. Some sort of sexual problem there. Or some sort of sexual difficulty that they had been thrown into. That was very much with Bathsheba. She herself was raped by King David. Uh, had nothing to do that she had done wrong. It was something that happened to her from King David. And then it's, it t- tells of Gideon. So Gideon is this amazing guy who, who was, uh, he was called upon by the angel of the Lord to do some great task. And the, Lord said, the angel of the Lord said to him, Go in this thy strength. Have I not called you? That's in Judges chapter 6. Go in this thy strength. Have I not called you? So everything he needed was in the calling. He said, Go in this thy strength. Have I not called you? And then Gideon said, Well, let me, let me offer something up to you. And, and uh, it went on and on. And then Gideon was called to, to overcome Midian. And he needed further assurance. Gideon had a very interesting life. He started with 32,000 men in his army to defeat Midian. And God slimmed it down to 300 men. He sent the other almost 32,000 away. And he just kept the 300 men. And he defeated Midian. Right after that defeat... He took gold, the gift of gold from the people, and he compiled all this gold, 17,000 talents of gold, which is a huge amount of gold from when they defeated uh, Midian because they were Ishmaelites. All the men that they defeated had a gold earring because they were Ishmaelites, and it just stacked up. And and then they had the uh, um, some other gold that was on the horses of the kings. And he made an idol out of it. So here he had done this great work, he ended up making an idol right after the work. And uh, he ended up having 70 sons. And, and one of his sons killed all the other 70. He ended up having one of his sons with a, with a, uh, a, 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 a woman that, that uh, uh, was his concubine. But he had a bunch of other wives. And the one that was from his concubine ended up killing all of his 70 sons after he died. I mean, so, so you wonder, why is he including him in this list? And then you get Barak. Barak was a man who was told by Deborah, who was a, a, a uh, judging Israel at that time, to go and attack King Sisera in the north. And he said, I'll only go if you go with me. She said, I'll go with you, but you won't get the glory. The glory will go to a woman. And then there was Samson, who had tremendous difficulty with women. I mean, he was just would get attracted to women, and, and, uh, and then he would tell them all sorts of things that just ended up in his destruction. But he had a, some great acts of faith, and his final act of faith, he was able to kill all sorts of people, all sorts of enemies, but it also killed himself in the process. Big problems in his life. Jephthah, Jephthah was a sort of confused guy who was called back to help in the kingdom, and, and then he made some sort of uh, crazy oath that whatever comes out of, out of my house when I come back from the battle, should I win this battle, I will offer it up to, this, to the Lord. And who comes out of the house but his daughter? <laughs> and so he was, he was in, a, in a real fix because of that. David. David was a man after God's own heart, no doubt. 
but he did end up raping a woman named Bathsheba. And then he ended up killing her husband, having him killed, and having several people around him killed. And he didn't even confess this until it was brought to him and confronted by, by, by Nathan the prophet from the Lord. Samuel, Samuel was a great guy, but he had, he had family problems. His sons were wicked, wicked. They came into the priesthood and they started stealing the things from the people that belonged to God. And it says Samuel was a great man. He himself had done no wrong, but it says he was always on circuit, always traveling, as many pastors have to be, and his own sons. So you see this, this composite of people. They all have problems, but they're listed among the men of faith in this portion. That gives us hope. If you think that God can only use a person whose life is all together, you've never read the scriptures. The beautiful thing about the scriptures is that we have hope. Because every one of these people had problems. Even the great Samuel was not quite the father that he should have been. Every one of them had problems. And in spite of that, God uses them and calls them in the New Testament about men of faith. So remember, the New Testament is like God's commentary on the Old Testament. And he calls them, and he's extremely generous. Extremely generous. So you, if you think you've blown it in life, just remember, we serve a very forgiving and generous God. Then look at, and then he says, Samuel and the prophets. So now he's including lots of other prophets. There was Daniel and his three friends, Meshach, Shadnach, and Abednego. And there was, there was Jeremiah and Isaiah. So all of those are included in the prophets. Because remember, he says, I'm running out of time here. He says, who by faith conquered kingdoms. So think about these great works. By faith they conquered kingdoms. They performed acts of righteousness. There are really amazing things that God can do through your life if you will but allow him and believe it. Sometimes I talk to students and I talk about with them what God can do through their lives. And they'll just go, no, no, you, know, you, don't, you don't know my songs. I'm not sure I could do that. And, and they just go away. And I think, Lord, I know you have so many things that you would do through their lives. But at this rate, they'll never be able to take hold of it because they lack faith. They don't believe that you can do great things through their life. So, Lord, I'll tell you what you could do. Rather than to let all the things that you were going to do for them go to waste, give it to me. I'll take it. I'll take it. I don't want it to go to waste. Why should we let it go to waste? I mean, he has all these storehouses of blessing. I'll take it. It's a matter of walking in faith, saying, Lord, you can do through me much greater things than I could ever ask or think the scriptures say. In, in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, says that he has for us things beyond what we could ever ask or think. Lord, do that through me. Lord, do a great work through me. Ask God to do that through you. You have all your careers before you. Ask him to do that through you. When I was at your stage, I had no idea what was going to happen in my life. I was just another kid studying chemistry. God can do amazing things. And I remember when I was, when I was uh, a postdoc, we were all competing. There were a whole group of us at Stanford that were in these labs together, and we were all competing for the same positions. We had all applied to the same organic chemistry positions. And I saw, and I thought, 
When I looked at these other people, I thought they know so much more chemistry than I do. You say, oh, well, you know, this is just false humility. No. I mean, I'm telling you, these guys studied chemistry, it seemed like to me, since they had been in kindergarten. They knew so much, so much from the literature, so many different things. We would have these evening problem set groups. And they knew so much. I thought, how do you know that? How do you know that? I took the same courses that they took. I don't know that. And, uh, um, but now I look back at what God has done in my career versus every one of those guys that we, we were competing for the same positions. I said, Lord, you've done more than I ever could have asked or thought. There are promises that he has. So he says, they performed acts of righteousness. They obtained promises. Look at that. You obtain promises through faith. It's not that, oh, God has made some promises, so he's going to just dump it on me, whether I have faith or not. No, this is what he says. He says, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises. We obtain the promises of God through faith. There is an active component in our lives. And it's to walk in faith, to believe that God has good for me, to believe that God wants to do good in my life. There is a whole component of that that we need to take hold of. Lord, I believe you're going to do great things in my life. Do it. Use me mightily, Lord. Use me beyond what I could ever ask or think, as it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, more than I could ever ask or think. In, in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, it talks about how he says, uh, he says, I will show you great and mighty things that you don't even know. I'll show you great and mighty things. So Lord, do this in my life. What I'm trying to do is to, take, to, to explain to you what you're supposed to do when you read the scriptures. He makes promises. Now God does bless, God does bestow upon everybody, every human being, he bestows upon us things whether we honor Him or not. He gives us air to breathe. He gives us eyes to see. He gives us ears to hear. There are other things that come upon us just because we are believers. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Eternal life drops upon you. Then there are many other things that come through faith. He says you obtain promises through faith. If you walk in this, you'll obtain the promise by faith. They obtain promises. They shut the mouths of lions. They quench the power of fire. They escape the edge of the sword. So there are mighty things that happen to people through faith. I am telling you, there are many in this group among you who will accomplish great things that will affect humanity. You'll come up with inventions. You'll come up with programs. You'll do things that will affect groups of people that are huge. You walk in faith. God can use you for that. Then he goes on. He says, from weakness we're made strong. Oh, how I can use that. By faith from weakness you can be made strong. He says that's part of this list. From weakness they were made strong. You look at these men's lives that he just listed. There were great periods of weakness. Jeremiah the prophet, so many among them just wanted to, to die. Jeremiah, you know, just had, had this great depression upon him. Elijah, Elijah cried out. He says, Lord, just take my life. I mean, he had just accomplished something really mighty. He had, he had uh, uh, defied Jezebel by, by killing all her priests of Baal. 
Fire came down from heaven and consumed the offering, and he had all. And then he says, "There's nothing left for me." I mean, after you kill all the priests of Baal, what are you going to do for an encore? <laughs> what are you going to kill next? I mean, what can you do? He says, "Just take my life, take my life." And the Lord says, "Go to sleep. Go to sleep." You ever been really depressed? Just go to sleep. <laughs> when I wake up, it'll change. I mean, Elijah had the same thing. He just went to sleep. And then the Lord woke him up and fed him a really good meal. And you know what Elijah did? He went back to sleep. Typical patterns of depression. Just wake up long enough to eat and then go back to sleep. You see these sorts of patterns. Jonah, same sort of thing. You know, he... he, he he prophesies to people to see them saved, even though he didn't love these people, and the people get saved. They repent. And he gets so upset about that, he's, and, and then he, you know, some little plant is over his head, and then the plant dies, and he says, Lord, kill me. Just take my life. Be over a plant? It's amazing what we as human beings get upset about, that we want to end our lives over some little thing, like a plant. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. Some little thing happens and you just, just want to die. The prophets were like this. This is what he's trying to show us. From weakness, they were made strong. There are many mornings when I wake up in the morning and I think, how can I go through this again? You know, I'm sick of this. And then I get with my Bible, I spend some time with the Lord, and I come out like a roaring lion. Nobody's going to stand in my way. Because from weakness we are made strong. If we will learn to take the scriptures and make them a part of our life. You read the scriptures and you say, wow, from weakness we were made strong. Lord, make me strong. As I read these scriptures, make me strong. And all of a sudden, whew, he starts to lift you up. This is the Holy Spirit drops upon us and fills us to overflowing. From weakness we were made strong. They escaped, they, they from weakness they were made strong. They became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. They became mighty in war. Where do you come might become mighty? In the war. You read about many generals. One day I was fascinated by a general named, named Stonewall Jackson. This man was a terrible professor at Virginia Military Institute. A strange man. I mean, sometimes he would take a chair and he would put it right in front of a white wall in his house and he would just stare at the wall, memorizing the lecture that he was going to be giving the next day. This is not normal. Most professors don't do that. One day he was told by his commander to meet him outside the commander's residence at like 6 a.m., so this guy, in the pouring rain, goes out there. The, the commander's residence had, a, had a, 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 uh, an awning over the front, but he was told to wait out in front of the house. So he waited in the pouring rain. The commander had forgotten about him. He wouldn't knock on the door, so he just waited out there, stood in front of the man's house in the pouring rain for hours until the man happened to come out and was like, oh, forgot about you. I mean, he was going to obey orders to, to you know, just a T. The guy became an amazing general. Just amazing. Same thing with, with, with General Schwarzkopf during the first Gulf War. I mean, he would have been, nobody would have ever heard of him. But because he happened to be in charge of the, the Middle Eastern com Command, just at that time, 
when the war was going to break out. I mean, the guy became famous. People become mighty in war. You go from being nothing. And so all of a sudden, why is all this coming upon me? Oh, because your war has started. Now is your time to become mighty. This very time when you think you're weakest, I can make you your mightiest. And this is why, you know, all of us dread these times when a loved one of ours or a child or some might die or might be in, involved in a terrible accident or get that phone call. The Lord will give you strength in that time if you are allowed, if you allow him. In that time, he will give you strength. You're not going to have all of a sudden the strength that you need for all the things that you're going to confront until you get in it. He will give you strength and he will see you through. And people will be like, don't you care about that person? Don't you see what they're going through? I'm like, what do you want me to do? I'm not God. I know that my Lord will strengthen them. My Lord will give them strength in the midst of this. And I will pray for them. What more can I do? They lost a child. What more can I do? I am sorry for them, but my Lord will give them strength. My Lord will give them strength. And some people take offense at me. I have nothing else to say, but my Lord will give them strength. I know that he will. Because he says, they will become mighty in war. When the battle starts, you will become mighty. You learn to spend time with him. And all of a sudden, the challenges of life come and hit you. And you will become mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. We heard, he just listed a whole bunch of names. And all the great things they did. Now we go into a section where no names are listed. And we understand the other side of God's success. So success in God's kingdom is not merely building a great company, fighting a great battle and defeating and, and, and winning a war and quenching, quenching the, the power of fire, escaping the edge of the sword. It's not only that. Now look at this next list. No names are mentioned. Verse Verse uh, 35, women of Hebrews 11, women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world is not worthy, wandering in in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. No names mentioned. Not a name there. Women received back their dead by resurrection. If you look through the Bible, almost every resurrection came in response to a woman's cry. Women received back their dead by resurrection. But they had a great loss. And then there was a resurrection. While others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Look at this. This is in the same chapter of the men and women of faith who he named for us. You see all this great success that anyone in the world would look at this and say, yes, through their life, God was vindicated. And now you see a list of people Nameless. And if you were to just look 
at their physical life, God was not vindicated. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. You see, they had something else in their mind. This is actually the more common event that happens with believers throughout the world. It is not that common throughout other parts of the world that you see these great successes where you would look upon it and say, the Lord has been vindicated through their life. No, most of the time, people are tortured and killed for their faith. That is most of it. And there are many seasons in our lives where if you look at it, you say, well, if somebody looked at this objectively, I would just look so defeated. Where is the Lord in his life? I mean, he's worshipped God all these years and look, look what just happened to him. Well, he warns us about this. This is part of walking in faith. Success is often suffering for the cause of the gospel. Success is often suffering. Life throws at us all sorts of things. Women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. Mockings, and, mockings will be very common in life. If you walk with Jesus, you will be mocked. And you can sit in a corner and suck your thumb, but it's not going to change the fact that you will be mocked. He warns us about this. Not everybody is going to receive your Christian faith. Not everybody is going to be overjoyed by when you start telling them what God did in your life. They're going to snap back at you and say, just stop telling me that. I don't want to hear that. That, that means nothing to me. I've tried to share the Lord with people and I've had people just snap at me and I feel like, maybe I'll just go away and die. <laughs> I mean, it really was quite wrong of me to say this. It's so offensive. Well, whatever I say is never as offensive as what Jesus said. He called men whitewashed tombs. He said they were blind guides of the blind. I mean, Jesus was always, always as frank as could be. I mean, he just let it, let it, you know, come, come just flowing out there. To unbelievers who, who were religious, I mean, Jesus pulled no punches and they got really upset with him. You read Luke 11 sometime, Luke chapter 11, where one of the lawyers comes to him and says, you know, and these are lawyers, these, these, are, these, these are not lawyers like you guys are going to be lawyers. These are, these are lawyers who are experts in the, in the, in the, uh, in the Mosaic law. And they came to him and they said, you know, when you say that to the Pharisees, it offends us too. And Jesus didn't go, oh, offended you? you know, Sorry about that. I, I didn't really mean to offend you. He looked at them and he said, does that offend you? How about this? You are responsible for all the deaths, all the deaths that have occurred of all the prophets, from Abel to Zechariah. Zechariah, if you look in the Jewish Tanakh, the Jewish Old Testament, 
It, it ends in 2 Chronicles. The last person to be killed in 2 Chronicles is Zechariah. So he's saying, like we would say from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus said from Abel to Zechariah, the whole book, all of those prophets' deaths, you are responsible for. Me, I wasn't even alive then. No, I'm holding it on, on, on your account. You're responsible for it. I mean, this is what Jesus did. So compared to him, I'm really very nice. Really very nice. You will experience mockings if you follow Jesus. Remember this. And scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. We don't know this in our culture. We just don't know it. I've, I've heard people say, you don't know the persecution I've been through. And I look at them and I don't even see any scars. I mean, you look pretty healthy to me. You know, in, in, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, it says, you have not even gone to the point of shedding blood for the kingdom of God, for the cause of the gospel. So the Bible defines as the beginning of persecution the point of shedding blood. With all the people that I've spoken to, all the people that I've shared with the Lord, I have never shed any blood for the Lord. And I feel ashamed of that. I've been in all sorts of situations where people could well have hit me, but they didn't. I mean, people have threatened to hit me, but then they didn't do it. I've never been able to shed any blood for the cause of the gospel. That's where persecution begins. So if you feel you've been persecuted, you haven't been. You're in kindergarten. It's not happened yet. Yes, also chains and imprisonments. I mean, how many people have been thrown in prison? Now, I'm not talking about a night in jail because, you know, you're preaching the gospel. I mean, that, that's, again, kindergarten. But imprisoned for the cause of the gospel. Probably nobody here. Maybe one Maybe. Has anybody here been imprisoned for the cause of the gospel? No. You, you see, we're, we're not even, we don't even live a realistic life in our culture in this moment in history. It's not even characteristic if this many people have never even experienced the whole other half of walking in faith. We've really been treated quite tenderly. They were stoned they were sawn in two. Sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They were tempted. You know, there's a lot of temptations in life that will come upon you to go back into the old way, to go back into the old patterns of life, to move away from faith. I'll tell you what will happen. If you are a believer in Christ and you have named Him, if you go back into the world, you will have, that you will see what a real taskmaster can be like. You will have real rough times because the enemy will have a field day with you. You say, well, he doesn't do that to unbelievers because they're already his. He doesn't have to do that to people in the world. They're already his. But to the one who is named Christ and goes back into the world, the enemy will have a field day with you. I have seen it over and over again. Lives, marriages, totally broken up 
because someone has decided to go back into the world and just said, well, you know, I, I don't really believe that kind of stuff anymore. When the witness of God has been born upon your heart and you start denying the faith, your foolish heart, the scripture says, is darkened. And then when it's darkened, you start going through that whole list of things that we read last week in Romans chapter 1. Then it says, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. I thought if we have faith, we're going to be rich. Maybe sometimes. That's the other half of the list. But none of us knows what, we have, what it has for us. These people... All they could wear were sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy. Look at, what, look at what the writer puts in parentheses. Men of whom the world was not worthy. The value to God of these people that have gone through this is so great. It never gave this valuation upon an individual in the upper part of this chapter. It's only when you get to the bottom part of this chapter, the unnamed people, the ones whose names are never mentioned and the persecution that they went through, those are the ones whom the world was not even worthy. You see how God estimates people, how God values what people go through? Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. One day my daughter, when she was a kid, she asked me, do you, do you believe that there were cavemen? I went right to here. Right here. People lived in caves and holes in the ground. Yeah. Cavemen. <laughs> the world was not worthy of these people. The first one that's named among this group, we learn, is in Hebrews chapter 12, and it's Jesus. Think about this. Here this man testifies of all these great things about God. He gets put up on a cross, nailed through, he's up on that cross, and people come by mocking him. It, it talks about this in, in, Mark, in, in Mark chapter 15, in Mark chapter 15, verse 32, it, it talks about what people were saying of Jesus when he was up on the cross. In Mark chapter 15, verse 32, it says, uh, um, we'll start reading from verse 31, or, or verse uh, 29. Those passing by, Mark 15, 29, those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come, come, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. I mean, this is your Lord. This is your Lord. And then he dies upon that cross, and he's buried, and it's all over. Look at how God values faith. A whole different estimation he puts upon it. Now he's risen from the dead, and there's this great denial that comes from, to this day, this great denial about his being risen from the dead. 
Even believers, as they're falling away, will start denying this. Even though there is so much scriptural evidence that the believers from that day sincerely believed that He rose from the dead. So much so that they died for the fact that He's risen from the dead. Very different than what you and I believe. We believe He's risen from the dead. They knew that He had risen from the dead because they saw Him. And it was demonstrated by their own death. And they, weren't, they didn't die in easy ways. Peter is believed to have been crucified upside down. Two of the disciples were flayed alive. That means they pin you down and they cut your skin off you. While you're alive. Flayed alive. You'd think that if they knew him to be dead, they would have said, hey guys, psych, he's really alive. We took his body. No, no, he's still that we took his body. You know, they, they, they would deny it. You see that their belief in his rising from the dead wasn't a mere belief. They knew him to rise from the dead. They knew it. Nobody dies for something they know to be a lie. And yet believers, believers who are denying the faith will take this and start denying this truth that he's risen from the dead. He has gone before us in this. He has led the way. With that, I encourage you, when you go through things, just remember, the unnamed were the ones for whom the world is not worthy. Many of the things that we bear, we bear quietly. The world doesn't even know it. You bear these things for the Lord. There are many things. It is a walk of faith. You walk through pain. Anybody who's played any athletic sport knows this. You play through the pain. You play through the pain. The walk of the Christian life is you walk with pain. Very often, you walk with the pain. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, for these young people that you would so get a hold of their hearts that they would be men and women who walk in faith, that they would believe you for great things in their lives. And if there be other things like persecutions and mockings and, and, and uh, uh, Father, that they would stand and remember this day, remember your word, and to understand that in those circumstances where they are standing for you, that all of a sudden they've been elevated to a place where the world is not worthy of them. Father, raise their faith. Make them strong in you, I pray. Make them strong in you for the glory of Jesus and in his name. And Lord, I pray if there be anybody here who is wobbling in their faith, who is thinking that I'll just go back into the world. Father, I pray that by the power of God you would come upon them and shake them from deep within to draw them back, to draw back this prodigal son before they end up longing for the pods that even a pig would eat. Father, I pray that you draw them back 
protect them from the hand of the enemy. Even as Jesus said to Peter, I have prayed for you that the enemy would not take you. I have prayed for you to protect you from the evil one. Father, protect them, I pray, and draw them back to Jesus. Father, for those here who do not know you, who have no power over sin, Father, I pray that you draw them to Jesus, that this day they would pray, Lord, forgive me and come into my life. For the glory of Jesus and in his name, amen.